You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For me, the lesson was always, there has to be a way for me to have a future forward that isn't yoked to the person that I'm with. That's a lesson that, unless you've seen it in your own life, is sometimes really difficult to impart. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. So we talk a lot about trends on this podcast, mostly because they say something about where we are as a culture and about what it means to be a woman with money in the 21st century. Mostly, though, we are a personal finance show. I started Her Money to make personal finance fun, understandable for women, by women, inherently learning to manage your own money, at least the way I think about it means that you are striving for some form of independence. Long gone are the days where men made all the money and therefore had most of the control about where it was spent, and women stayed home and cooked and cleaned and worked out and greeted their husbands at the door with a hot meal and a glass of whiskey on the rocks. But recently, there has been a growing trend on social media where the hashtags tradwife, which is traditional wife, or the more modern stay-at-home girlfriend accounts are blowing up. And in essence, these accounts, the women in these accounts have Jobs that include taking care of the house, taking care of the kids if they have any, and looking good when their husbands get home from a long day of work. Unlike a lot of the fun, funny social media trends, I gotta say this one is a little cringy to me. And I am all for deciding if you have children that you want one spouse to be a stay-at-home spouse. That is not what is bothering me here. I think it just perpetuates the stereotype that we have been pushing back against that men are better with money, that a woman's place is just in the home. And we also know, thanks to a lot of research, that even as financial contributions have become more equal in marriages, women still do pick up a heavier load when it comes to housework and caregiving, which leaves men more time to do the things they want to do. And Helen Peterson is joining me today. I got to tell you, I'm so excited about this. She has an awesome substack, and she's here to talk about 
why this alarming movement has become so popular and what it means for female financial independence. She is the author of five books, most recently, Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation, and, as I said, writes the extremely popular Substack newsletter, Culture Study. It goes out to almost 200,000 readers twice a week. And welcome to the show. (laughs) I am very happy to be here. Thank you. So this trend has become so popular. We know these accounts have hundreds of thousands of followers. What made you want to dive in? So I grew up in the church, not in a super evangelical church, but within Christianity. And also I grew up in Idaho, which is a place where a lot of my friends were Mormon, really high percentage of Mormons. And so the way that trad wife life is represented on social media, I'm like, yeah, I know those are a lot of the families that I grew up around were essentially trad wives in that capacity. They didn't call themselves that, right, because they weren't marketing themselves in that way. But this wasn't weird to me. You know, an editor at L said to me, what if you try this out? Kind of like stunt journalism. And I brought the idea to my partner. And I was like, well, first of all, I can't be a trad wife because we're not married. We're living in quote unquote sin (laughs) and have been for 10 years. And then also, if I stopped working and just lived by the rules of trad wife life, which we can get to later, I would actually lose money on this proposition, right? Because whatever (laughs) Elle paid me to write this piece would be far less than what would happen if I just didn't do my newsletter for a week? We went back and forth, and he was like, whatever you do, if you write this piece, you have to make it very clear that this was not my idea. (laughs) I didn't want to be framed as the the person who's like, oh, yeah, it would be amazing if you did all the cooking and cleaning and just were always ready to serve my every need. That was not his idea. And I figured out some ways that I could do it. If you're a trad wife, one of the like rules is you don't go to the gym without your husband because you don't want people to hit on you or for you to be an object of men's gazes. You don't leave the house after dark by yourself, really. And I live on an island of 900 people. These things were not hard for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I ended up actually not being able to do it. My dog died the week that I was going to like try it out. And... It was great, though, because actually that allowed me to have this turn inward toward my family. And, you know, I announced my newsletter. I'm taking this time. This is important for me to be, like, really present and to grieve and all those sorts of things. And that was that. I think that in the conversation, that piece sparked. And then I also wrote a piece for my newsletter about all the things that didn't make it into that L article. I was able to talk about why are these accounts so huge? It's not because there are millions of people who want to be tradwives. It's because there is a representation there that is provocative, of course, but also alluring in some ways to women who are working for pay and not for pay, two, three, four jobs, essentially. So the idea of just doing one job, (laughs) there's something that's attractive about it. But I don't think that's making women say, like, you know what I want to (laughs) do? I want to raise my daughters to not go to college, right? (laughs) Because that's really a fundamental part, too, of the trad wife life. So let's define it for people who haven't really heard of a trad wife or trad wife life or the stay-at-home girlfriend hashtag. And what are we exactly talking about here? I have to say, as somebody like you who has five jobs, the thought of one job is definitely appealing from time to time. But 
again, that's not really what we're talking about. It's not just a single job. What is it? So when we talk about this phenomenon, I think of it as a big umbrella. And it really stems primarily from influencers who are evangelical Christians, mostly non-denominational and or fundamentalist, and they believe in what's called biblical femininity, living according to the precepts of biblical femininity. So someone like the Duggars were always and are living according to those precepts. And their understanding of this is very much rooted in this is God's plan and wives should submit and there is no purpose for women to be educated. The churches that they attend, there is no way that women could hold leadership positions in that church. The most prominent position they could possibly hold is maybe leading a women's Bible study. They believe that they should always be sexually available to their husbands. If a husband strays, it's because they were not sexually available enough. They should not work outside of the home for pay, except for the ironic part here is a lot of these women are also monetizing their accounts. so They are actually making money. So there are people who have understood that this is a way (laughs) to proselytize this lifestyle and also to do well within the algorithm and are very prominently putting hashtag Tradwife in their accounts. And then there are people who are just living this lifestyle who are not necessarily see themselves as part of this larger group. So someone like a very prominent example would be Ballerina Farm, who is a Mormon ballerina turned farmer who married one of the heirs of the JetBlue fortune and lives like an hour away from Park City on a big farm. She's also Mrs. America. She's a beauty queen. Not Miss America, Mrs. America. Mrs. And uh, currently pregnant with her, I believe, her eighth child. And she would never put trad wife in one of her posts. But she's also living that lifestyle. And then I think we could go into all the different gradations of people who are Christian but don't actually really go to church but are living this, like maybe have glommed onto this because they understand it's a way to make their profile more prominent. The other corner of this are the stay-at-home girlfriends who... The trad wives, the actual, the ones who are living biblical femininity, they are anathema. Because if you are a stay-at-home girlfriend, you are living in sin with your partner. And it's not necessarily that they ideologically think that, like, all women shouldn't work. It's more, this is what works for me, is to agree to let my partner make a lot of money. What I have seen on social media is that women in these scenarios are almost exclusively partnered to very wealthy men, right? And part of the attraction and part of the reason these accounts are successful is because it's a like luxurious lifestyle. So it's not like I wake up and I live in my crappy apartment and like I make soup for him at night. It's more like I wake up and I do yoga in our high rise and then I make chia pudding or fancy probiotic shakes for him. It's very much an aesthetic, like a lifestyle influencer type. So does that all make sense? It does make sense. And I'm sort of wondering where you think the line is between the people who really believe this Mm -hmm. and are doing it for whether it's religious reasons or they just feel that this is the way they want to live. And by the way, it's not just Christianity, right, or Mormonism that 
leads us in this direction. I've got members of my family that are Orthodox Jews that live in a very, very similar way in a similar community where they take care of their husbands and their children and they are not encouraged to study or learn. Their Mm -hmm. husbands do all of that. Yeah. Where do you think that the the line falls between those people who are jumping onto a trend and those people who believe this? And Mm. for the believers, I'm thinking back to my mother telling me stories about how when she was going to college and my mom's 83, there was a choice. You could be a secretary, you could be a teacher, or you could be a nurse. And by the time... I went, and certainly my daughter, you could be whatever. And these advances were hard fought. And I've been excited to see them, but clearly some people are not. Yeah. Well, the division that I see, and this is also because I am someone who analyzes a lot of social media performance and like celebrity performance online and that sort of thing. And so for me, the line is more, okay, there's one of them, this woman named Esty, who's big on TikTok, who looks like Marilyn Monroe, or she has done her hair like Marilyn Monroe. She wears dresses that are very much in that 50s Marilyn Monroe silhouette. She talks kind of breathlessly like Marilyn Monroe. And her content is really rooted in, here is what I believe as a trad wife right? Like very much trad wife forward. Whereas I think a lot of the women who are more invested in biblical femininity, they are more like, here's what I do, right? Here's how I live my life. Here's how I raise my kids, those sorts of things. So it's less of that like very obvious proclamation. I could very readily see someone like Esty on TikTok take a very different path in five years. Whereas for most of these influencers, they're almost entirely on Instagram, the ones that I follow. They have seven, eight kids. They're not going anywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. And Esty, she doesn't have kids yet. This is, if anything, it feels to me like a way of living that she is trying on. And so that's the difference that I see. Really good point, too, about how like similar lifestyle you see in the more fundamentalist or the more conservative iterations of different religions, the difference with Christianity and and Mormonism within that is that they are heavily proselytizing religions. So there is not the sort of, you shouldn't be proclaiming this in public, right? It's, you can be on Instagram all you want because that is a way of sharing your faith and saving more souls. So that is kind of like a difference in how the theology works within these different communities. I think my resistance is that it like it does feel like anathema to me because like you I understand how far we have come. For my mom, she's in her mid 60s now and would be like, you know, until I was in 4th grade I had to wear a skirt to school. And until, you know, it was not very long before I graduated from college that women were allowed to have their own bank accounts. Right. Or the fact that my grandmother, for various reasons, one of them, just the fact that she lived in the 50s in the suburbs, she never learned how to drive. Those were markers to me of here are the freedoms that I have and becoming acquainted with and deeply versed, immersed in feminism. As I grew up, I was of that generation that never would have called it feminism until basically after I graduated from college. We have worked so hard. Right. People have worked so hard. And it is offensive to me that we would say, oh, well, what if we just like cede that control and hope that others will do what's best for us? 
it's offensive and it is so scary. Yeah. Every day at this show and in our Facebook group, we hear from women who ceded control of the finances to a spouse or a partner. We are so busy. There is so much to do, whether you work inside of the home or outside of the home. There's too much. And even with two people, it is really hard to accomplish everything. And so I get why people divide and conquer. But I also hear from so many women who wish that before their husband got really sick or died, they had paid attention because now they are really up a creek, have no idea where to turn, trust absolutely no one, and feel as if the whole world is out to take advantage of them. And these trad wives who are monetizing, maybe they're not doing that. Maybe they're raking it in and dealing with their money. But I suspect that there's a big segment of this population that is just hands off the money completely. And I feel like it's just a recipe for disaster. I talk to a lot of other women of my generation. So I'm an elder millennial who watched what happened with their own parents because in my case, my parents got divorced when I was in high school, and my mom had quit her career trajectory to take care of us and to help my dad's career. And then when they got divorced and she was 40, she had to rebuild from there. And so whether I realized it or not, I mean, I internalized those lessons, right? I'm like, I will always be financially secure on my own. And I've seen very similar actions on the part of other people whose own parents, mothers, experienced career disruption or not even disruption, right? Like just dead-ended or who experienced downward mobility after a divorce. There's a lot to unpack there. But for me, the lesson was always there has to be a way for me to have a future forward that isn't yoked to the person that I'm with. That's a lesson that unless you've seen it in your own life is sometimes really difficult to impart because I see it in my peer group. Some people who didn't see that lesson, right? Sometimes you lose your partner. Sometimes you lose them to divorce and sometimes you lose them suddenly to death. There are all sorts of things that can happen. But to go to your other point too about how women are so weary, like part of the reason they cede control of finances or they drop out of the workforce by necessity is I look back to when women started really entering the workforce en masse. So middle-class women entering the workforce en masse in the 60s and 70s. And what so many different theorists have shown is that when they entered the workforce, it's not like they figured out, okay, now we're going to split all the domestic responsibilities, right? The deal was, yeah, sure, you can get a job, but you also have to do this job that you're already doing. And it was a bad deal. <laughs> and so some of the attraction of the Stradwife life is dissatisfaction with that bad deal. I want to dig into why this trend is catching on right mm. now in, yeah. in this moment. But before we do that, we're going to take a, a very quick break. I want to tell everybody a little bit about the new podcast that Her Money is publishing. It's called How She Does It, hosted by Karen Feinerman from CNBC. I hope you've had a chance to check it out. But if you haven't, pick up the recent episode with Danielle Weisberg, the co-CEO of The Skim. She talked all about the evolution of The Skim and how it went from a small daily newsletter to the place 
that millennial women turn for a breakdown of today's most important issues. It's a really good conversation. You don't want to miss it. Hey, you guys, it's Jean. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love because I love it. Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business and economics and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, even Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics like whether AI has a sense of humor and whether two CEOs are better than one. If you are curious like me and just looking to better understand the world around you, you will find it on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. We are back with Anne Helen Peterson, author, journalist. So when we look at trends, it's interesting to me to figure out or to try to figure out why this trend, why now? And in the article, you write that submission and simplicity can be most attractive during times of duress, that people have historically glommed on to charismatic religions when it feels like the world is changing in ways that make it feel unfamiliar and they crave something, anything steady. I mean, that's how the world feels to me right now. Right. Well, you know, I think that's true on the personal level. So I, a lot of times women who weren't necessarily raised in the church find the church or find a religious structure after some sort of personal trauma whatever that might be. But then on the more structural and societal level, yeah, we are in a time of like absolute duress. And we've been there, I would argue, since at least 2016. And how do you make things seem simpler, more legible? How do you make the world seem more legible? This is one way. And I see this most vividly with people who may not be embracing trad life wholly, but are really looking for that just to have things be easier. Right. And we saw during the pandemic, people call it a she session, that women were the ones who were really forced to drop out of the workplace. And a lot of that is our broken childcare infrastructure. But I see it, too, with people who aren't just caring for young children, but who are caring for their elders or who are part of the sandwich generation and trying to do both. It's just so much. It is so much. And so what do you do? Right. For some women, I think the only solution is dropping out of the workforce. Do you think that there is a connection here with loneliness and with looking for community? I mean, more and more often, we're not in a community with our friends. Even if we are, it's tough to get on the same schedules and to make plans with those people that we 
actually want to see. Your new book is called Friend Group. It's a survival guide for the loneliest generation. Survival is a really strong word, but when you've got the Surgeon General out there telling us that loneliness is dangerous, I understand it. But do you draw a line from Tradwife to Friend Group? So what I see with Tradwives is actually an incredible insularity. When you see these accounts, you never see these Tradwives hanging out with friends. They don't have any friends. Their friends are their kids and their husband. They are creating their community within their own home by birthing more children. And I think that's one reaction to that feeling of we don't have any community. I feel very lonely. The world feels very precarious and unknowable. Is you turn inward and you say, what matters is me and mine. Whereas I think some other people are reacting to that feeling by trying to decenter work, not drop out of the workforce, but just not have work be the end all be all. Decenter performative or intensive parenting, because that's the other thing that was like an okay thing to focus on if you're a woman, is to focus on parenting. And again, when I say intensive parenting, I mean publicly parenting, being everything for your kid, having your life really rotate around your kid's needs in all these different ways, and trying to figure out networks of care. So what does that look like? What does it look like to share care more often? What does it look like to share domestic duties? What does it look like to actually have intimacy with friend groups? I think that they are, tradwives are on one end of this reactionary spectrum, and then trying to figure out how to live in close community with people is, is on the other end. My daughter One of the things that I have always just admired about her is her friend groups. She has a really strong friend group from her summer camp years. There are nine of them. They are hugely loyal to each other. Mm -hmm. She has a friend group from college. She's got this thing that I don't have I have one friend group of women where we all had kids who went to nursery school around the same time. But I I recently joined a no book group Mm -hmm. because I was looking for a way to make some new friends, maybe even find a friend group in a new city without having to do the work of reading a book that I don't want to read. I'm wondering if you have advice or have takes on how we can, as you're studying this, how we can do this part of life a little bit better. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, this is this is what I'm grappling with all the time, right? And people are really hungry for it. And I think some of the problem is that the institutions of social cohesion have really faded. They used to be religious institutions. Like, that was the easiest way to plug into a community. You move to a new place, you started going to church, like, there's instant friends, or at least instant community. And Me and millions of other people have left those religious communities behind for various reasons. I think that if there is still a religious community that makes sense to you, like that is a great way to not just make friends your own age, but also to forge intergenerational friendships. Oftentimes, these religious groups are a locus of connecting to other parts of the community through volunteering, through assistance, like all that sort of thing. But then the other thing is, so how do we make something like the church that isn't the church? Something like the religious group that you were a part of that isn't that? And the answer is hard because we don't have very many public spaces. So many places, either you go to someone's home or you have to go to a place where you have to buy something. There's just not a lot of that. And I think that if you start looking, though, you will find them. And so some of it, I always suggest to people to figure out how you can actually show up on a regular basis to a volunteer thing. 
Another thing is doing something exactly like what you did, is finding a group like that. And maybe not all of those people in that group become your best friends, but maybe one of them does, right? And you can become their friend. The other thing, and this is what I did, is move near where your friends are. And sometimes that's harder because they're not all in the same place or maybe even not even two of them are in the same place. But I wanted to be an important person in the lives of my friends' kids. I had tried making new friends in new places. And if I tried harder, I think it would have happened. But I, I was always haunted by the fact that like, I already have the best friends in the world. They just live over near Seattle. So I just moved over here <laughs> with my partner, and I was lucky that he was on board with it. And it's been really, really wonderful. But sometimes it takes like a pretty radical decision like that. And then the other thing that I always tell people is that I think we are very impatient. So many things in our lives come very quickly now. And it really takes two to three years. And sometimes it takes persistence. Sometimes it takes being uncomfortable. Sometimes it takes like <sighs> talking yourself out of that inclination to be like, I should, I just really want to stay at home tonight in my sweatpants. Like that'd be so much easier. It would be easier. But sometimes that work of building community is hard. It just has incredible payoffs. There's so few things in life that are very easy that also have incredible payoffs. <laughs> so understanding that sometimes that you have to put in that work is, is important too. We will leave it there. This has been such a fun conversation for me. Thank you so much for doing this. I know you are in many places, but where would you like our listeners to to go to learn more about you? I think the easiest place would be at my newsletter, Culture Study. It's at annhelen.substack.com, or you can find me on Instagram at annhelenpeterson. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on Her Money. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Edelman Financial Engines. Her Money is produced by Haley Pascalides. This show is mixed and mastered by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Check out our new podcast, How She Does It, with Karen Feinerman for intimate cocktail party-style conversations with today's most talented female leaders. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwavemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon. 